0: Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gem that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Welcome to another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm your host, Joe Velarde, and I'm so, so grateful for an opportunity to to sit down with somebody that I feel like I really, really know because so many of my friends know her, but actually this is our first time beyond email seeing each other and having a conversation in person. That's my my new friend, Heather Evans. And I wanted Heather to come on uh, in a, for a couple of different reasons. I wanted you to hear and learn about what she's doing, but I specifically wanna talk with her about this area of trauma. Um, and many of us may not know it, or we're wondering what it is we're experiencing, but a lot of what's happened over the last even three months have been somewhat traumatic, and then you start talking about your own life experience on top of that as well. So, Heather, welcome to the podcast. Glad that you were able to join us today. I wanted just to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you actually do and are involved in.
1: Great. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be with you today. So, mm-hmm. yes, as you said, my name is Heather Evans, um, and I would say my area that I really work is the field of trauma. I work on that um, a local level, national, international level. Locally, I am the, the founder of Evans Counseling Services, a group practice in uh, at Coopersburg and we deal with all kinds of issues, but one of my main specializations there is trauma, specifically mm-hmm. sexual trauma. I'm the founder of VAST, which stands for Valley Against Sex Trafficking, which was founded back in 2011 with a colleague. And um, mm-hmm. we are addressing human trafficking in the Lehigh Valley through awareness and outreach and aftercare for, for victims. And I also am adjunct professor Of Global Trauma Recovery Institute, which is out out of Missio Seminary and Mm. Through that, I've had the opportunity to travel internationally, mainly annually to the country of Rwanda to partner with trauma healing caregivers there. And that just came about in just recognizing that I cared about trauma around the world, wanted to get involved, took classes at Missio, and then uh, went on to be one of the professors of this Global Trauma Recovery Institute, which is partnering with trauma healing trauma-healing caregivers and also equipping people to do global trauma work, entering into mm. another culture, culture and coming alongside them in the trauma they've experienced. So those are some of the, the areas of interest for me. And as you can see, it's just kind of at my, my heartbeat, my calling to address trauma in this world.
0: Yeah, well, and, and I, I think more than ever, uh, not that it wasn't needed before, but I think we're becoming more aware of yeah. the, all all the trauma that's going on. And I, I really think there's that word can be thrown around. And so what mm-hmm. I actually thought would be good as we start it, this conversation off is to even define, you know, what is trauma? Like, you know, okay. that, that's a word. That's a word that often's thrown around. Um, but how would you define that, Heather?
1: Okay. So, yeah, it's also a very broad word, but
0: if
1: if we break it down, trauma is an overwhelming experience beyond one's normal ability to cope, an experience that involves threat and leaves the person feeling powerless, feeling helpless or a loss of control, feeling fear. And ultimately disrupts one's world. It disrupts one's belief system. So that's kind of what trauma is. To break it down, it's when someone has an experience that includes threat, leaves them feeling powerless, helpless, and fearful. Now there's all different kinds of types of trauma. I can just kind of throw out a few examples yeah, of, of go, forms go for of trauma. I mean, yeah. trauma is included in um, abuse of various kinds, mm. physical, emotional, Verbal sexual abuse, Um, for someone who's experienced a natural disaster, or someone who has been the victim of a crime. Those are forms of trauma. Military war veterans have experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, We there is environmental trauma. There is secondary trauma where you've witnessed the trauma of someone else. And and then, I'm kind of oversimplifying right now, but just want to give a few examples. There's collective trauma. I would say Mm -hmm. what we've been going through with COVID-19 has been collective trauma. That as a group, we are all going through the same form of trauma together. Different experiences within it, different responses. But collectively, we're experiencing the same kind of threat. Um, We have been, in the last couple of weeks, it is not new, but we have, Been front and center, um, have the veil has been kind of uncovered, uh, has been removed to see racism. I would say Mm -hmm. racism is personal it's a personal kind of trauma it's a collective trauma it's a systemic trauma meaning Mm -hmm. on a systemic level there are various forms of trauma so there's different kinds of trauma that i'm sure as we talk i'll talk a little bit more about different kinds of trauma generational trauma i'll explain that a little bit more if you'd like but where trauma is passed down from one generation to to the next
0: yeah no this is really good because i do think that is the what we're experiencing right now I, i think i would call it um, and it's a, co- a collective, I like that word, but I think this compound trauma too of yes. co- COVID-19, uh, the, the racial unrest, uh, which centers around racism, which I agree with your point too. It's not a new, new thing. It's just that we're seeing it in some very uh, vivid ways um, while all this other stuff is going on, on top of our own personal life. kind of having some new dynamics and challenges going on through that. So as you think about this idea of trauma, I I wanted to ask you, and you kind of hit on this a little bit, Heather, what what does it actually do to us? Like how does it like really work its way into, and I know every person's different, and I want to say this on the front end, uh, I'm asking Heather to do something that's somewhat difficult (laughs) because (laughs) trauma trauma is very specific to individuals and experiences. There are some principles that carry over. Of course, but I want to say that on the front end. So as you hear this, and you may be like, "Well, I'm not totally sure, like, or like, this is exactly like uh, um, what what it means across the board and and a broad brush kind of painting, uh, so to speak." Uh, It's it's less of that and more trying to give you some principles and even things for us to work through and think through on a leadership uh, level in our own lives as we lead ourselves and help lead others. So, what is what you know? As you think about trauma, what does it do uh, to us?
1: Okay, so. I'm going to actually borrow from a woman named Diane Langberg, who is a world known psychologist and author, works out of Philadelphia, but has written many books, has traveled internationally, and in her book, Counseling Survivors of Sexual Abuse, this is where she first outlines what I'm about to share with you, but as you Mm -hmm. hear her talk, she'll talk about this. I think it's really important. She says, we can understand the impact of trauma without understanding personhood she defines personhood from the way that human beings are created by god created in his image in three different ways voice power and relationship she says every individual is born with a voice to speak the way god spoke the world into existence the way he is a communicating god he's created us to communicate but trauma takes away voice. It silences voice, particularly some forms of trauma such as abuse, such as racism. It's a silencing of voice. The second way um, that trauma impacts is power. So just as God is a God of all power, he derive, we derive that power from him. He gave power, meaning if we just define power to have impact, to have influence, Mm -hmm. he gave us that power to use in the earth, to fill the earth, to govern the earth. But trauma, with that threat that we talked about and the response of helplessness and power, it takes away power, particularly again, Mm -hmm. with different forms of trauma that include abuse and oppression and marginalization, Mm -hmm. one's power is taken away and they are made helpless. It shatters Mm. power. Um, Any kind of trauma, as you said, the compounded trauma of COVID-19, and we felt powerless and helpless, perhaps to whole new levels that we never have before, as individuals, as a nation, as a world. Mm. That is another response of trauma. And finally, relationship. Trauma isolates. We are designed to be relational, connecting human beings. Trauma comes and shatters relationship. Now it can do that again when there's abuse and oppression, whether it's a crime, it shatters trust within relationships. But even something like the trauma of a natural disaster, of COVID-19, of going through some form of, of complex grief, trauma isolates in that I feel so alone in this experience. I need connection, but I'm I'm isolated. I'm alone. So I would say that is kind of universally how trauma impacts a human being on the level of silencing voice making one powerless and isolating Mm -hmm. from relationship beyond that i mean there's there's as you said there's varying responses um and it impacts on a holistic level physiologically trauma just the way that the brain is designed to respond to threat it takes a toll on us there's this fight flight or freeze mechanism that is Mm -hmm. you know when when we experience threat our brain is part of our brain is hijacked, the amygdala, hijacks the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is what we need to make decisions, to think rationally, to use good judgment, to organize our lives. And the amygdala is like our alarm system. It's like danger, 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 alert, alert, alert. And that's this fight, flight, or freeze mechanism that we get into. And I know if you know we've experienced that with, with COVID-19. We've experienced that even with the eruption in the last couple of weeks in terms of what's happening in our world with racial tension being being recognized to a new level. And that takes a toll on a person. If you're going through trauma, ongoing levels of trauma, we call it complex trauma, where the trauma is interpersonal, it's premeditated, it's long and ongoing and repetitious, like the trauma, childhood sexual abuse, or a victim mm-hmm. of sex trafficking, that takes a toll on a person physiologically. And they may have all kinds of impact from just on a brain level, a body living in that state of survival. Um, Hmm. Besides that, trauma disrupts our belief system. It rocks Hmm. our belief. There's a before and after a traumatic incident. And again, if you live in ongoing repetitious trauma, you are being shaped and imprinted and developed by that trauma. It's shaping how you see the world. Sexual abuse shapes how you see men or women or your body or sexuality. Um, it, It shapes how you see God you know where was god when this happened how do i live with this form of trauma and live with the the presence of god at the same time it, it will rock your world it will it will it will definitely challenge if not permanently change your beliefs or temporarily change your beliefs so those it's a holistic kind of thing there's physical there's spiritual emotional relational, and if we break it down, that concept of voice power and relationship, I think really helps us understand it. Something else I will say that uh, research has shown is the response of others to trauma will be an indicator of like the prognosis of healing. So one example would be, if I come out and I say I've been sexually abused and I have caregivers, believe me and support me and respond by reporting it to the police and getting me help and coming alongside me in the the healing process, that has a greater indicator of healing than someone who was not believed or it was minimized or they were blamed or it gets shoved under the carpet. There is more devastating impact when individuals are not heard and seen believed, supported, protected, and responded to when they've experienced trauma.
0: Mm-hmm. So good. Wow. And I think this is really important for us to hear across the board because twofold. One is as a as a person, and when I say leader, we're all leaders. And you may be like, oh, I don't like that title, but we, we all have to lead ourselves. Absolutely, uh, we're, we're responsible for leading maybe people in our home, uh, in mm-hmm. our workplaces. Um, and one of the things that we have to understand And I've watched this in my own life because um, I I didn't realize I I was experiencing a lot of traumatic experiences at one time. And um, one of the most challenging parts of that is to to what you said, to have people of power, uh, not yield their power for the benefit of of the people around them. And um, one of the things I've learned through that is the importance of understanding what trauma is, but then understanding that they probably had their own trauma they hadn't dealt with. And how they led, and there's an excuse, by the way, what what they've done, it explains it. And there's a difference of understanding why someone does something, and um, what they end up doing. So we don't, we don't, we want, we need explanations, but we don't want to excuse either. So please don't hear me say that. But mm-hmm. I, I think as we try to lead ourselves through this, we've got to have places to process the pain and the trauma of a life, because as we go, so the people that are around us go. Um, we we have a direct impact on those that we're leading um the way in which we take care of ourselves and then the flip side of that is as people come to you with their traumas i think we're so quick to try to solve or fix mm-hmm. or or question uh, the things that you know they're uh really saying and communicating um but what we really need to do is listen we need to support we need to believe we need to walk with we need to uh, not silver lining it not uh, we, me and my brother call it the Jesus juke. We don't need to Jesus juke them. <laughs> we need to like stand and sit with them in the midst of it. And I, I think that's, you know, so important as we, we look at that in our own, in our own lives. And so as we, as we look at the relational piece of this, and I know mm-hmm. you hit on some of it. I didn't know if there's anything else, else you would add specifically around how we end up relating to others after we experience a traumatic experience
1: yeah well first i want to just respond to what you just said and then i'll I'll follow up with with a further response to that question i'm trying to decide between two quotes so i'm probably going to just read them both because they speak to what you just talked about and i think i think this is a time again what has been exposed in the last couple of weeks with, with um with racism and oppression of black people is nothing new but we have we have been forced to look in a mirror and will we look in that mirror or will we not it's really up to us will we search our hearts will we confess and repent of what we need to it's really really up to us this is a time where we can really practice that listening you just talked about and bearing witness and not coming so quick in with our yeah buts or well that like you're like you said the silver lining but really, just practicing listening. So, um, Nicholas Walter Storf has written a book called The Met for a Son, which are just some of his journal entries after the tragic loss of his son. And he says this, and he's talking about grief, but I think it can apply to trauma as well. But please don't say it's not really so bad because it is. Death is awful, demonic. If you think your task as comforter is to tell me that really, all things considered, it's not so bad, you do not sit with me in my grief, but yourself off in the distance away from me. Over there, you are of no help. What I need to hear from you is that you recognize how painful it is. I need to hear from you that you are with me in my desperation. To comfort me, you have to come close. Come sit beside me on my morning bench. powerful and what I love about that is he's describing incarnational listening and for those Mm. who are listening that are believers we have we have a savior who came close who entered in to that awful demonic death and that grief that Mm. we talked about he came close by taking on flesh becoming man in order to save us and that um that's what we do with each other. We have an incarnational ministry where we enter in to really messy, uncomfortable places in order to incarnate Christ, in order to represent him well. And what does that do? It heals and it changes. This is what Diane lineberg says. You will have to learn how to sit with pain without injecting a narcotic into the one you are listening to. Do not be afraid of pain, yours or theirs. Be careful. Pain is the only protest in the human constitution that something is the matter. It is what raises its voice against existing injustices. If you jump in to silence it, you'll never find the wound. It's a signal that indicates danger. When there is an absence of pain, it leads to the destruction of human beings. When pain exists, we call it disease. When pain exists emotionally, we call it suffering. The absence is numbness, deadness, inability to feel joy. Work to alleviate pain and suffering very carefully. Listen to pain. Don't be afraid of it. Study it. It's telling you a story.
0: Oh, so good. Oh.
1: So to add to that, how do we come alongside others or who've experienced trauma? Or how do we ourselves heal from trauma? And if we go back to that concept of trauma silences voice, it destroys relationships and isolates and it makes one powerless or helpless, trauma healing is the opposite of the traumatic experience. It restores voice, it restores power, it restores relationship, and it restores voice and power in the context of safe relationship. So that means when I'm coming alongside someone who's experienced trauma, I'm first and foremost, as we've just talked about, I'm listening. I'm, I'm restoring their voice and giving the opportunity to share their experience, not re, re, relive it and not just retell it just for catharsis, but because in the retelling of it, when someone is bearing witness, their voice is being restored. So we're giving voice to people who have experienced trauma. We're, at, we're not telling them what they need. We're not so quick to jump in with our cliche mm-hmm. truths. We're, we're asking them you know, what they need. We're asking them what they want. And as we do that, we're restoring power, we're giving choice, we're helping people find ways to find manageability in the midst of unmanageable, maybe physical and emotional reactions, and in the midst of experiencing something that they were powerless to. So, you know, on a different level, with, with COVID-19, um, we, we I, I think we, I'm hoping we all have been coping in such ways that we're trying to find what can we do in the midst of what's you know, unmanageable? How, how do I restore some kind of order and power in my day or in my family or in my world in the midst of so much that I have no power over? And finally, relationship. Trauma healing happens in the context of relationship. I I recently um, finished some dissertation work and I interviewed and used um, photography of sex trafficking survivors. And I will Mm. say one of the most profound data points, most profound things that came out of my work as I was looking at complex trauma and post-traumatic growth in sex trafficking survivors was that their greatest need and what they attributed as the greatest source of healing was relationship. Whether that was a probation officer or a therapist or somebody they met in the local coalition or an adopted family member or a family member or a partner, it was a relationship that they said was their greatest need after having left the trafficker and their greatest source of healing. That relationship became a place for them to learn something different, for them to find their voice and find their power and find safety again and find hope again. Someone who believed in them, someone who was with them for the long haul. Someone that could speak truth into the impact of the trauma, but not just speak truth, embody truth, live out truth in the way that they were treating them. So that's the other huge thing is we can embody something different than the trauma someone has experienced. We can be for them safety. We can be for them someone that empowers. We can be for them someone that listens and bears witness and treats them as a human being. Treats them more than a victim. That's another mm. thing I would say is that those who've experienced trauma, they are more than their stories of that traumatic experience. While they need that to be acknowledged, their story to be heard and acknowledged, and, and seen as a part of who they are in terms of what they've experienced, it's not their full identity. So we're even we're even helping those who've experienced trauma by coming alongside them and um, helping them find beauty and helping them find hope and restoration in their world, like celebrating the things apart from their their um, experience of being a victim, that that's not their full identity, that's not fully who they are. We're, we can relate to them in ways apart from them being a victim. Anyone who's experienced trauma, they don't want to be pitied. They don't want to be treated as a victim. They probably don't even like that word. Mm-hmm. So while we have to acknowledge their victimization, if perhaps the trauma is a form of abuse, we treat them as survivors, individuals who have strengths, have hopes, yeah. have dreams, have many capacities that have made them who they are and have got them through what they've experienced and endured. We celebrate, we respect those and we invite them in to different kinds of
0: experiences. Oh man, it's so powerful. And I, I think as you look at that, even for from my own vantage point and perspective, one of the things I've noticed from my uh, black and Brown brothers and sisters. Um, I have uh, many um, relationships with this coalition that I've been a part of for the last two and a half years around working through racial reconciliation and a lot of Anglo brothers are on it as well. Uh, so it's it's just a diverse group of, of, of guys on it and pastors and leaders. And as one of the things that they said, and it goes to your point, they don't, they don't need a, a white savior and <laughs> they're not looking for a white savior to come in. <laughs> but they are looking for someone to share in the load of what they're experiencing, their personal trauma and the collective trauma of their communities and to then use my voice, um, to, to speak on what I'm seeing, like, like to, uh, you know, work with them through it. But then when I have a platform or an opportunity and I need to say something, the Lord's just saying, Hey, you need to say something about this. And I think about recently what's gone, gone on, um, that for me was even just very eye-opening how much that helped them feel, hey, this is a safe place. There's trust here. There's relationship here. They they don't want me to stay silent. Uh, they want me to speak and not in a, a, a peer pressure kind of way, not in a manipulating me, but in a kingdom minded kind of perspective. And, you know, I've learned so much from them about that, even just you know, cause I'm so quick cause they were like, Hey, two and a half years ago, let's get together and let's start talking about this. And, and I was like, all right, you know, I'm an action guy <laughs> let's get moving. You know, <laughs> like I believe racism exists. Like I'm there, you know, like all these things. And, and one of the things that I had to learn even through that uh, is to sit with them. Let's hear the stories. Let's, let's sit and learn the American uh, story. And, and I knew a good part of that, but to, to even just sit and sharing that, that, that information to pray together, to build relationships, and then collectively uh, attack different opportunities, whether it was there's a Philadelphia neighborhood called Strawberry Mansion. And so we were starting an initiative called Mansion of Hope. Um, but they're, they're you know, really uh, helping me to understand what you just said about the value of sitting and working through a process, not being quick to just solve, but let's sit in the, the story and let's see what redemptive gift will come out of this you know as we listen and as we earn trust and then other things are emerging as well but i think we we need to learn that ability to just sit in it and to hear the stories i think part of giving people a voice back and and a, you know you're the professional in this other but i think part of this is to give them the space to actually tell the story yes. and not to be so quick to not only solve it but to be like you know I don't know, distracted even or disengaged because the pain part, it's easy when the pain is being told to us, it becomes very heavy. And it's easy to try to kind of get out of the way of that because we're like, oh, I I don't know if I'm equipped to handle that, you know. But really, uh, the gift we give to each other is the ability to uh, listen well and to walk with and to, yeah, there may be certain things we have limitations on, but what is the thing that we could do? Because all of us have something to offer each other in the yes. midst of the, the trauma that we're, we're experiencing and going through. And so as I, I think about that, even um, in my, my own journey and in my own leadership, the value of being able to, to say, Hey, this is actually what happened and and not to take responsibility for things I shouldn't take responsibility for that. That is a huge journey uh, to to go on because it's difficult depending on how you've been brought up or taught that you start owning what you don't need to own. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about, um, blame shifting or anything like that. I'm talking about, there are literally things in relationships that you need to own and other people need to own. But if mm-hmm. you get those mixed up, you start owning every part of that and that doesn't allow you to experience, um, healing in it. So as we think about the idea of processing trauma, one of the, the values on, on Vision for the Valley is we want to help people learn how to process pain. I, I just believe that is so important. And so I wanted to ask you, and, and I know you've stated some of these things, um, but what would you say as we look at processing it and working it through in our own lives? Um, what, what steps would you recommend we take in the midst of this? And I know you've mentioned several things already, but if there's anything else you wanted to add, feel free to do that.
1: So, what steps in um, we can take for like our own personal lives, yeah. or just even corporately?
0: Yeah. Both, both. I would say a little both. bit of both.
1: Okay. Yeah, I want to. I just want to. Your brain, my brain, is going all over the place as you're talking, because um, I'm just Go. sitting here thinking about all of our different responses when we hear about trauma, when we hear about suffering, when we hear about injustice. I think some of us can just it's a fight flight or freeze thing you know it's yeah. some of us yeah. immediately get into frozen mode uh like this resigned helplessness of this is too much this is too big what really can i do and we remain paralyzed in helplessness, in um you know in inactivity thinking yeah. that i'm too small i don't know what to do so i will do nothing at all and then some of us oh, there's that um flight mode which is as you said like this is too much like i i can't handle this and really what we're doing there is it's it's a self-preservation there's something that we don't want to face whether it's our own pain and suffering whether it's being able to tolerate somebody else's emotion and pain or suffering or maybe even some change that we need to um be exposed to that would probably be world rocking because I will tell you when you enter in to this stuff, it changes you. It does. You, you can't stay the same person when you learn how to enter in to evil and suffering. And I would say it's so worth it. It's worth it for those who are experiencing the injustice and it's worth it for ourselves and, and it's worth it for, for our what we believe. Um, but the other response would be the fight response, which is what can I do and how can I do it? And rushing into that too quickly can again silence voice make one powerless i see it all the time in in our work um with trafficking victims many very well-intentioned people they just they hear about this and they want to respond but then they are responding out of that that urgency rather out of wisdom out of knowledge out of education and the ones that they're serving and as you said anybody who's on the other side of that they don't want to be rescued they don't need a savior you know that that just that basically it's typically not even about them at that point it's about the savior feeling good it's about me feeling good that I've done something I've contributed to the cause that happens in in international cross-cultural work all the time you know my work and going in it's been very humbling like we it's very slow it's long and ongoing we go to Rhonda we are not going saying this is what you need here we have all of the answers let -hmm. us tell you about our Western ideas of trauma we're building relationships we're listening we're sitting with them we're learning, we're pushing them forward, we're walking alongside them and equipping them as they've requested, as they've needed in a long ongoing journey. But we're not rushing in as saviors in that fight mode and saying, oh good, this is how I'm responding. So it's none of those things. We're getting out of the fight, flight or freeze, even in our responses to someone else. And it takes patience, it takes perseverance. It's a long ongoing journey. I mean, I would say our response to what's happening right now is not a one-time protest attendance or a one-time face facebook um post and personal mm-hmm. confession it's an ongoing journey of listening of learning of discussing it for me and this work i have to be an ongoing student of people of trauma of the scriptures because as soon as i stop being a student i'm I'm missing the person. And I'm at great risk for re-injuring them because I'm no longer listening. I'm not restoring their voice. I'm not giving them power. And I'm not being trustworthy and safe. I'm not providing safe context for them. We have to have an ongoing mentality of being a student. And as I said earlier, it will change us. It will probably expose pain and trauma in our own lives that Perhaps we've been avoiding and we don't want to face. It may expose like blind, blindness in our own lives that we need to face and we need to respond to. And that's the thing. Like All of this work is just calling us to be real. It's calling us to be authentic and vulnerable, not perfect, but just teachable and vulnerable. And it's worth it. It's worth it. Justice is worth it. People are worth it. Our God is worth it. But it, it is a humbling, changing experience to enter into this on behalf of someone else or on behalf of our own healing work.
0: Yeah. And one of the things I, I think you said that I don't want us to miss is uh, the friendship relationship component of this because it's so ongoing and and to be a student of, I was re- reading uh, James one and you'll, you'll know this and I know not everybody listening to this, maybe a follower of Jesus, but he says in there, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because yes. human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And when you read that at first glance, you're like, okay, I, I mean, I need to stay humble and curious. I need to ask questions. I need to, to be able to understand that I don't know everything. I need to have a varying perspectives on life um, because that's how you get to the best stuff. But I, the anger part of that too, because a lot of times we get so angry because we're not quick to listen. Uh, To people, we're quick to speak. You know, we don't follow the Jesus way, which was he asked more questions than he gave answers. And really the the value of that relational component of what James is getting at. And even what I'm hearing from guys like Brian Stevenson and and others, you know, even what you just said, the long road is to enter in the experience of others through relationships and then Mm -hmm. to work together on, hey, what is it that needs to happen? Uh, because the, and he says it really well in this interview, he said that to be honest, he says, and he's not making light of it, but the easy work is the social media stuff, the protest, the, you know, and again, all that stuff has its place, but he's saying the hard work is what you just described. It's the, the grind part of that. And as you think about this long road, I, I wanted to ask you this, this question, Heather, how do we, how do we stay healthy mm-hmm. in the midst of helping others? Because one of the things I'm noticing, and, and I'm sure you've seen this too, is it can be so all-consuming. Um, not only the work, because it's really important, but even the vividness of images that are coming through our screen right now. Yes. And and, and we need to see, you know, we don't want to live in isolation or denial of what's happening. But I, I've, I've started to realize, even in my own person, the amount of anxiety and mm-hmm. the amp. Upness, I was feeling in my. Thankfully, I have a wife who <laughs> lovingly uh, gave me a uh, a loving challenge and said, "Hey, do you?" She pulled out my phone. And she's like, "Do you see how many time much time you're on social media? Like, you know." <laughs> and I'm noticing, I'm watching your, you know, your uh, nonverbals and even our communication. Like, it's just you're a little bit more your own edge, and yes. you know th- that was a good challenge for me. And I've been trying to really work through that. And obviously, um. It's an ongoing thing. But I was just curious, How do you what, what do you say to that as far as staying healthy in the midst of trying to help people and walk Absolutely. well with them?
1: Yes, we are personally and collectively taking in a lot of input right now. And, um, you know, at this point uh, here in the Lehigh Valley, we're still in isolation to a certain extent and so not a lot about but not we're taking in more than we realize and you're right it's impacting us more than we realize and i'm going to go back to a concept another one by diane langberg who i've quoted earlier but um i think it's been life-changing for me it's very practical and helpful just as we talked earlier about being image bearers um and bearing this certain image of our creator i mean we that idea of being an image bear means we're shapeable human beings. We become like what we sit with, what we marinate in. So if we're marinating in the current climate of social media, it's going to impact us. As I sit in this room hour after hour, and I hear different stories of suffering and disorder and darkness and evil and trauma it's going to impact me, how it impacts me. I I, has something to do with what do I do with it? So self-care is Mm -hmm. extremely important. And she talks about having the antidotes of our work be what actually takes care of us. So if I'm taking in a lot of input right now, that is darkness and chaos and disruption, disorder, abuse, oppression, then I need to also be exposing myself to things that are the opposite of each of those things. Things of Mm. beauty, things of light, things of order, things of goodness, things of righteousness. I don't know about you, but more than ever before in the last few months, I've appreciated the colors of Mm. spring. Mm. I've appreciated the birds. I've heard the birds more than ever before. And I really think there's something to that. I think Mm. I'm listening for, i'm in need of something beautiful more than more than other times and i think that um we can be intentional at surrounding ourselves with things that are life-giving and beautiful and pure without feeling guilty that you know some of us think i got but i gotta do this i gotta do this on behalf of those who've suffered and been oppressed but we need breaks we need breaks we need to pace ourselves and we will we this is not sustainable to sustain a pace of, of, heightened arousal, anxiety, angst, aggression, we, we, it's not sustainable. So we need breaks and exposing ourselves to things that are actually the opposite of trauma, things that are empowering, mm. things that are, um, life giving things that are safe, things that are, yeah, anything that, you know, fill in the blank of what those things are for you. For me, it's, being in the sun it's being with my nieces and nephews it's listening to music it's exposing myself to beautiful places it's it's movement movement of my body through exercise anything mm-hmm. like that can be really helpful in sustaining ourselves in this
0: oh so good and i really want to encourage us what heather said is so spot on um we don't want to feel guilty about caring well for ourselves because if yeah. we believe this whole concept of the image bearing of god which really has been at the root of a lot of the unrest collectively, whether it's COVID-19 or this, this racial component and racism, it's not believing (laughs) at times the image bearing that people have or we have. And sometimes we think we're helping, but actually doing more harm when we're not believing that, Hey, I'm an image bearer of God as well. And so what did Jesus himself do? Well, he did take time to be alone, have solitude, to be out in nature, you know, he did take time to pray. He did, you know, he, yes. he did move. He was with people that refreshed him. You know, he did hang yes. out with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Yes, he had the disciples, but he had these friends that he would spend time with. And I, I think for us, uh, we need to be people that can identify those things that are going to fill us up because we're not meant to give what we don't have. And if yes. we're always operating in deficit, and I'm not talking about sacrificial giving. So I want to clarify here, but Heather and I would, would both say that there's a point in time where when we keep going we're doing more damage to us because we can't sustain this overall care for this individual and then we're we're not as available as we we want to be or could be or should be uh, because we're not taking the, the time to to go to work on ourselves and and some of that is you know adding the beauty um into our loss. I love what you said about being outside the birds. I've noticed that too. The birds, mm-hmm. they're just like going like they're crazy. booming this year. Yeah, I know. And it's <laughs> and it's awesome. And you know, and you're hearing that. And I think even like exercising and 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 finding these these places. And I think also allowing yourself as you are hearing all these things come in. Um, I think Heather and I both would agree with this. You're starting to see things in yourself that need to be surrendered over. I heard yes. Ian Cron said it well. He said, someone that was telling them, like, I've got so much work to do. Like, you know, and that's a common phrase. And Ian Cron was like, well, I want to correct you <laughs> in a loving way. Uh, I would say, you don't have so much work to do, but you just have so much surrendering to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the and handing over what it is that is in our lives that, you know, we need to process. So it's not like he's saying, hey, we're not working on it, but it's about how we're viewing, how we're working on it. We're, we're working hand-in-hand in, hand in partnership with God as we go through it. And some of those spaces of being outside, long walks, uh, taking in beauty, laughing, you know, like all these things, that playing with nieces and nephews, me chasing my four-year-old son, you know, around the, the yard and, you know, yes. laughing. We need those things um, because, you know, a lot of people who are doing this work, they have a, again, I don't want to generalize, but there is an intensity to. To people who take on the work of helping people, uh, because yes. it has to be like you have to have it. You know, like my wife's like, "Man, I wish you could like turn it down. Like, can you like shift gears?" And I'm like, "I'm trying. I'm trying." <laughs> but you know, <laughs> we just to be aware of of those types of things. So, as we as we think about this, um, Heather, and I want to to really ask you this question about racial trauma, um, and I know you hit on some of it, but just in light of what you do and what you've seen. Can you help us understand what racial trauma is, and and I know you've given some some tools here, but what would you how would you define that? Um, is that that's a real thing? You know, I think we both would agree with that, but I wanted to get your perspective on it.
1: It's a real thing. I feel so um, inadequate to be the one to define and describe it. Um, I have not personally experienced it, but I will. Speak on behalf of my brothers and sisters in hopes that we will listen and more greatly recognize it, acknowledge it, and seek to stop it and prevent it. So, you know, racial trauma is, we could call it like a race-based stress, where people of color have responses to dangerous events of um, and experiences of threat. So we talked about what is trauma? Trauma is that threat where someone's response is fear and powerlessness and helplessness. So racial trauma is where you're experiencing that threat in response to your race, your identity, the color of your skin and on. And may I say that the the thing about racial trauma is this is just like pervasive and long and ongoing because you, you live in this state of hypervigilance, which is one of the symptoms of trauma, where you kind of are on edge, like waiting for threat, waiting for danger to happen again. And for somebody who's experienced, let's say the trauma of a car accident, we can say, no you know what you're not going to get in a car accident every time mm. you get in the car mm. and eventually that hyper can kind of calm down and they can go about their business the next thing you know they're not thinking about car accidents you know they, they've recovered from that traumatic event of a car accident um and that's not to make light of that form of trauma but if you're mm. living in this identity every day and you are experience overt, experiencing overt and covert racism and discrimination, intentional and even unintentional forms of racism and what we would call microaggressions. So be the example of like where you know you're a person of color and you're walking by somebody on the street and they they pull their person a little bit closer or Mm. you know you're followed around the store and you know you're followed around the store because of the color of your skin or Mm. you know that like you you're experiencing discrimination in in the job search process because your name these things happen and we've front and center where we can't turn away anymore we could but i hope we're not going to turn anymore from um the unfair treatment of of um law enforcement specifically hmm. to individuals of color um black men so the fact that it's a reality that persons of color have to warn their teenage sons when they learn how to drive it. they have the talk where they talk about this possibility and they live in that state of threat there's an ongoing threat mm-hmm. that they live in expecting overt and covert racism and prejudices that takes a toll now that that takes a toll on the person's body that takes a, a toll on their identity there's a there can be um, a hopelessness for my future mm-hmm. there's a differentness that i feel and otherness that i feel we could classify as a form of shame, feeling shame for your identity. These things are real, and there are disparities that are ongoing issues. So we could say this form of racial trauma, it's on an individual level, it's on a systemic level, meaning that our institutions are impacted with racism, and we have to look at that. There's a generational aspect of racial, racial trauma, the things passed down from one generation to generation, 400 years of slavery. Now, how does, the what toll does that take on somebody physiologically that that's being passed down Now this stuff has been, is being researched by the way, This general concept of generational trauma has been looked at in, in stories of like genocide, the, the genocide in Rwanda, Holocaust survivors, and of course, in yeah. racism, it's, it's a real thing. And then the stories and the responses are being passed down. Beliefs are being passed down from generation to generation. And of course um, those beliefs that are being passed down to from generation to generation, are then confirmed when the next generation experiences maybe is different, but experiences discrimination, oppression, and disparities based on their race. It's real, and we have to look at it. And I would beg, we have to address this trauma so that there is this trauma no longer, because we're changing our ways and we're actually providing equal. Our country was founded on these certain principles of equality for all men. And it, from the beginning, it wasn't such, it wasn't that way. The very, the very things that they were creating our values of our country. We're not for all people at that time. We're not for all races and we're not for all genders. And I would argue that we have to do better in 2020. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's right, that's right. And I, I think if you wanna really help to change that narrative and the realities that people are walking through, it starts really small, but it starts with inviting somebody who looks different than you to your house yes. or out to coffee yes. or um, because even to know somebody is not the same thing to have a friendship with somebody. Um, when you have a friendship with somebody, you actually have the space to ask those questions and hear their stories. And it takes on a different thing than just, hey, I read this fact about this. because You know, that's, you know, facts. You know, I heard it said really well, facts are, are helpful, but they usually seldom change your mind. Uh, but friendships, friendships have a way of changing your mind. Uh, facts, yes. facts can be helpful and, and they weren't dismissing that, but just talking about the power of, of friendships. And, and I would encourage us all even to, to think about that, like who, who's somebody we could engage and invite into our lives in that way. And then even, as you said, the generational part of that, I would encourage us all to ask ourselves the question, do I know my family's story? because that's a whole nother form of trauma that really um, we don't know, but there's things that are passed down and it's not to, again, make light of the gifts of our families, but it's to acknowledge that our families are broken just like all of them are and to learn what we need to learn into even do the the processing and the work um, that's necessary to do better by the next generation um, and, and to, to work through that. So you know this is really an important part of of our own development and leadership and mm-hmm. just want to encourage you guys to to really dig in so heather as we think about our time and and people wanting to to connect with you um i got two questions for you how can they connect with you <laughs> and what's a what is like maybe a go-to resource that you would recommend if people wanted to further dive into the subject of Trump. And I know I'm putting you on the spot there because <laughs> there's so many of them. But uh, again, how can people connect with you? And, and you know, what, what are a go-to uh, resource?
1: Probably the best way to connect with me right now would be my work website, which is heatherevansonline.com. Um, if they want to learn more about human trafficking in the Lehigh Valley, they can go to www.thevast.org that's VAST as in Valley Against Sex Trafficking, so thevast.org. If they want to learn about um, what's going on with Global Trauma Recovery Institute, they can look at globaltraumarecovery.org. Those are probably the best ways to connect and they can feel free to um, connect with me. They can feel free to connect with me personally um, via the website if they want more information and more resources. So a go-to on trauma, oh my goodness, where do I start <laughs> and end?
0: An easy question um, for you. You're welcome. You're welcome for that one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Again, from a faith-based perspective, I, I would say Diane Leinberg has taught me the most. Let me, this is probably a great first place to start. Look up her Q Talk, um, which could be found on YouTube. Trauma as a place of service it's an 18 minute talk on her argument that trauma is the mission field of our century and if 2020 has not proven that point then i don't know what will but that uh would be a great resource any of her trainings that can be found on her website or youtube and her book suffering and the heart of god is a quite um comprehensive piece on various forms of trauma worldwide. She is definitely probably my my go-to. Um, Bessel van der Kolk has written some interesting stuff and is doing some interesting stuff. He has a book called The Body Keeps the, Store, the Score, excuse me, which is an interesting book on the physiological impact of trauma. So I'll throw him out there too. It's so hard, um, but that those are some good starting points and I'd be glad to point people in a direction further beyond that.
0: Yeah. Well, Heather, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was so, so rich, so enlightening. I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And thanks for joining us today.
1: My honor and privilege. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the work you're doing as well.
0: Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at visionforthevalleypodcast at gmail.com.